Welcome back, folks. We're visiting with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Rafi, one of the issues that I hope that they address in this uh, crime special session that's coming up uh, here in the third week of February is relative to juvenile crime, uh, juvenile records, the ability for juvenile authorities to talk about cases, especially in the case of escapes. Here we are again with another juvenile escape, and all of the authorities are handcuffed by existing juvenile law, uh, so they claim. I'm not necessarily sure about that. I think the public safety and public interest trumps all of, the, of those issues, but be that as it may, if I give them all the benefit of the doubt, they're not willing to talk about these individuals, and I think that needs to change. Your thoughts? Oh, I agree. So Governor Landry appointed uh, several councils to, during his transition, to review certain things. I was asked to serve on the State uh, Crime and Public Safety Council. And one of the areas that was uh, focused on by the, the, uh, the group that, that I was a member of was juvenile justice reform. So what you're alluding to is the Children's Code. So when the Children's Code that's in place right now was enacted, it was a totally different time where juvenile offenders at that time were more likely to be involved in nonviolent, low-level crimes. And as such, they didn't want to stigmatize uh, the uh, youthful juvenile offenders with inconsequential low-level misdemeanor or low-level felony property. Uh, convictions that would potentially follow them around the rest of their lives. So they confected certain rules and policies, uh, making it uh, and shielding the public from having information about the juvenile offenders. But that was then and this is now. And what we're seeing is that juvenile offenders are committing crimes, uh, of, you know, now, today, that were unheard of when the Children's Code was enacted uh, decades ago. So there is, I think, an agreement uh, with many of the criminal justice practitioners that were members of this, this uh, council that was appointed to make some recommendations to the governor that the uh, juvenile code needs to be uh, examined and revised to a uh, allow for more transparency and accountability, taking into consideration the severity of the, the offenses that you're seeing juvenile offenders perpetrate now. Uh, and I think that, you know, one of the examples uh, that just played out in the last week or so was a case involving Kai Jefferson, who was convicted and sentenced to five years in the Office of Juvenile Justice for a series of automobile burglaries last March, in March of last year. Now, when you get five years for automobile burglaries, that to me suggests that that was not his first conviction. Now, I don't know because that is, you know, he's a juvenile. He was 16 years old at the time. And uh, as such, property crime information is not available to the public. But for a judge to sentence 
a juvenile offender to five years in OJJ when there's a shortage of beds for a property offense is unheard of. And I believe that that wasn't his first juvenile offense conviction. I suspect that it wasn't his second. I suspect that there were at least uh, two other offenses. Because what I've seen historically is that juvenile offenders for nonviolent offenses get probation at least the first two times. So for him to get five years, essentially that's juvenile life as a 16-year-old for a series of automobiles. And we don't know if he was burglarizing those cars armed with a firearm. So the fact that a judge came to the conclusion that he could not or the judge would not probate him, they uh, assigned him and remanded him to the Office of Juvenile Justice. Apparently, he was in a halfway house from the very beginning of his sentence, and he literally just walked away. And OJJ, the Office of Juvenile Justice, issued a warrant for his arrest in March of last year. But what we don't know is what steps, if any, they took to try and apprehend him. Because the next time we heard of Kai Jefferson was in December of last year when he allegedly uh, threatened a woman with a firearm and the New Orleans Police Department investigated it and issued three felony warrants for his arrest for aggravated assault with a firearm. So that's a crime of violence. And under the Children's Code, because it's a crime of violence, the New Orleans Police Department issued a press release and included his picture, uh, asking the public to assist them in locating the whereabouts of Kai Jefferson. So what we found out was that last week, the U.S. Marshals Service uh, locally developed information that Kai Jefferson was in Georgia eluding the authorities in Louisiana, they notified their counterparts in the U.S. Marshal Service in Georgia. They effected his arrest last week on the felony uh, uh, weapons offense warrants issued by the New Orleans Police Department. And now the district attorney's office will be responsible for deciding whether to extradite him back to Louisiana. And he also has an outstanding warrant for escape from the Office of Juvenile Justice. But so this type of uh, escape is just another glaring example of the need for further reforms with respect to the uh, juvenile justice uh, system with respect to offenders like Kai Jefferson because, quote, unquote, he was a property offender. But what we don't know is if the offense was plea bargained down from a automobile burglary from something more serious than that. We don't know if at the time of those automobile burglaries that he had a firearm. And uh, I think that what needs to happen and what the, the crime panel uh, that was serving on the governor's transition team came to the conclusion that 
The Office of Juvenile Justice needs to implement a better classification system so that offenders like Kai Jefferson that maybe pose a risk to the public and to other uh, juveniles are properly uh, assessed and are uh, classified as as individuals that don't necessarily, if, they're, if their criminal history suggested, mean that they could be in a halfway house and allowed to just walk away from uh, detention. So there's going to be, I think, some new legislation that will be introduced both in the special session and certainly in the regular session that is going to, I think, uh, change and shake some things up with respect to the way particularly uh, violent juvenile offenders are, are treated by the state of Louisiana. Well, it's going to also take some money. Uh, and there's one thing that I know for sure. Lax enforcement when it comes to petty criminality has led to big-time criminality. And the sooner right. that we come to that realization, the better off we're going to be. We cannot pass legislation uh, without spending money to ensure that probation is fully funded, fully staffed, follow-up care, continuum of services, they're all impaired. Every single part of this is impaired. And then we are prevented from knowing anything about what's happening. I don't even know how we vote for a juvenile judge, to be quite honest with you, because we can't ascertain what they do, if they're doing it appropriately, if they're showing up for work, how they're handling this stuff. We know nothing. And we continue to know nothing, and they don't want us to know anything. And that's why I think we ought to blow this wide open. We can always revisit it if we figured out that it's worked to the detriment of the system. We can go back and fine-tune it. But I think it's time for shock and awe. Open up all juvenile records, all of it, in the criminal perspective, all of it. And... You know, therefore, everybody knows what's going on, what people get. Because if I have young children that are hanging out with these kids that are being arrested and for this and that, and no one can know, and they're not locking them up, they're not putting them on ankle monitors, they're not doing anything, and they're right back in your neighborhood and they're hanging out with your kids again. If I was a parent of a young teenager, I would want to know. Because I'm sure you had the same experience that I did. My parents would pull me in every now and again, and they'd say, you're not hanging out with Jimmy. Jimmy's nothing but a problem. And if I see you with Jimmy, you're going to have an issue. And typically their intuition was right. Uh, but we, we're a different society today. And and they more so relying on the system to let us know about Jimmy. And, you know, if I was a parent, I would be screaming at the top of my lungs that this system needs to be opened up. Your thoughts? All right. So the teenagers that are burglarizing automobiles, they're not breaking into cars, you know, looking for cell phones or to get the radio out of the car. They're looking for guns. And in many instances, the people that are breaking into those cars are armed with guns in case the property owners come out and confront them. We know that because many of the private 
cameras, surveillance cameras on people's homes and businesses uh, capture the, the footage of the offenders breaking into cars armed with firearms, in some instances, assault rifles. So it's not uncommon for a car to pull up, two people pop out of the car, both of them armed. One will serve as a lookout uh, in one direction, the driver of the car is uh, moving the car along as they're opening up uh, cars looking for for uh, weapons or, or anything that they can get a value out of those cars. And if the police come, or if the property owner goes out and confront them, there is, because of the fact that those offenders are armed, there's you know a propensity that a property offense could evolve into a crime of violence in a, in, in a split second. So you can't necessarily just uh, say that because it's an automobile theft or an automobile burglary that these are nonviolent offenders because we know otherwise. You know, harken back a couple of weeks ago to the shooting in the Central Business District in the afternoon where a stolen truck uh, opened fire on some people on the streets and two of the people that were arrested were juvenile offenders that opened fire in the central business district at three o'clock in the afternoon and wounded two people. And, and fortunately, and, and one of those weapons was a fully automatic assault rifle that, that uh, was used in those shootings. And we know that because the police arrested all three of the suspects involved in that, and they recovered some of the weapons that uh, in, in the house that they were arrested in that matched the ballistics of the shell casings at the shooting site in the central business district. So we're seeing juvenile offenders that are looking for opportunities, and while it may be a, a nonviolent property offense that they get arrested for, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's all that they're about, nonviolent property offenses. The fact that Kai Jefferson got five years suggests that even the judge recognized that probation was not appropriate, and that's usually indicative of prior uh, juvenile felony convictions. You know what's interesting, Rafi, is that um, as, you, if, as I think back, uh, you've been coming on this show for years, and we've been talking about any number of um, of issues. It's always... Uh, uh, you know, kind of um, a lackadaisical attitude to the exercise of discretion that these officials have, right? I mean, over and over, we just talked about Emily Mogg, you know, we, these uh, these uh, juvenile um, probation folks or whoever were moving this inmate, they didn't have him handcuffed, they didn't have leg shackles, They're they, they give them the ability to exercise all this discretion, and it's the public that suffers from uh, their, 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 their lack of caring. I don't, I don't even know what to call it when they exercise discretion. Right, right. So... With respect to Kai Jefferson, the woman that called the police, dialed 911, and um, the police responded to, to the scene of that crime, uh, the police in issuing that warrant believed that they had probable cause, not for one felony, 
uh, aggravated assault case with a firearm, but actually three counts. So that victim felt that their their safety and their life was being threatened by that 16-year-old wielding a gun. And the fact that he left the state uh, is an indication that this isn't, you know, the misguided youth maybe uh, that the Children's Code was written to address uh, back, you know, decades ago when the code was actually passed into law in Louisiana. And I think that uh, the time is now uh, right to review what was, was done years ago and maybe consider making some changes that will uh, better protect and serve the uh, law-abiding citizens of this state, offer some transparency, and ultimately, by transparency, it will allow the public and uh, the the media to be able to talk about the strengths but also the weaknesses of the system because, as you pointed out, we don't know what we don't know about the juvenile justice system because of the the secrecy that shrouds all of those those uh, proceedings, and if it's not working, we need to know about it so that we can correct it and make it work the way that's intended to 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 work. Absolutely, we'll be right back. We're visiting with Raphael Goinecci, president of the Metropolitan Crime Commission. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. <laughs> 